Well, I, I am truly excited that you're here today, and I'm just not saying that. You know, sometimes pastors will say that and whatnot, but, but sincerely, I'm glad you're all here. In fact, I want to begin with a simple question, and that question is this. I mean, it's a really simple question, uh, and that is, how many had a good week this week? That's a simple question, right? Raise your hand. Good week. You had a good week. How many had a bad week? You're honest, honest enough to say so. I had a bad week. A couple here, a couple How many uh, can't remember? Don't care. All right, got a few of those too. Uh, now, now, think about this. What makes a week a good week? What makes a week a bad week? You ever thought about that? Because sometimes people ask us that all the time. Hey, did you have a good day? Did you have a good week? And we say, oh, man, it was a terrible week, terrible day. And so what makes you say one way or the other? What me- you know, how do we measure a good week? How do we measure a bad week? Well, I think there are one way we measure uh, whether we have a bad week or a good week is, is if everything goes smoothly in our week. Without any complications, then we can say we had a, hey, it was a good week. Nothing went wrong. Everything went right. It went smoothly. Didn't encounter any problems. No complications. It was a good week. On the other hand, you know, if you look back at your week, like, man, it was one problem after another. I had this complication. I had this issue and this. And then we tend to say it was a bad week. I have to admit, I tend to measure my week in the same way. Good week, bad week. And if you, would have, if you would ask me now, Bruce, two weeks ago, did you have a good week? You know what I would tell you? I had a bad week two weeks ago. And here's the reason why. Because it was one complication happening in my life after another. First of all, it started on Tuesday of that week when I had a complication. My computer froze up, locked up, and I could not reboot my computer. And for those of you who whose life is on your computer, that's a bad thing, where your computer locks up, freezes up. Of course, in our church here, uh, hopefully you do too, we have a backup system, right? So you don't lose all your stuff. Unfortunately, three weeks of my work didn't get backed up. Bad week. Complication happened. Bad week. Let me tell you, that was not good. But that was Tuesday. All day I've been dealing with that. Then Wednesday morning, I come to the church, I get here about 6.30, 6.45, I, I unlock the church, I go in, get into my office, and I uh, was gathering some things, because I was going to go to Panera and do some studying there, and so I, I grabbed my briefcase and uh, my, the church's laptop computer, since mine was froze up, locked up, couldn't use it, go to Panera to study, I walk outside, and uh, I'm feeling around in my coat pocket, and lo and behold... No keys. I'm like, okay, they must be in the office. Church doors locked. Locked myself out of the church. My keys are in the office, locked up. And my cell phone is locked in my car. This is at 6.45 in the morning. That's bad. Complications happen. Tuesday, this is Wednesday morning, so I do the only thing I know to do. I walk to Shirley Orr's house, who lives right up the road here. And I'm like, dear Lord, please let her, a light be on in her house. I don't want to really, you know, uh, wake her up. And so I see this light up on the room. I'm like, oh, good, she's up. So I knock on the door, and it, she takes forever to get there. I'm thinking, maybe she's not up and whatnot. And, 
And so she opens the door with this look of surprise. Why are you here? And I tell her, Shirley, I've locked myself out of my car, out of the church. I can't get in. I have no keys, and I have no cell phone. Can I use your phone? And I call the only person I know to call. I call Chris. Chris, help me, because we had just changed the locks on the door. So Shirley said the keys don't work. There's only two people in the whole church that have keys now to the new door. Myself and Pastor Chris. Chris doesn't answer the phone. His wife does. And I'm telling Gwen, Gwen, man, can you help me out? Please help me out. She graciously comes to the church here at 7 o'clock in the morning with Chris's set of keys. And I'm able to get back in. Complications. Complications happen, don't they? And when they do, we kind of always assume it's a bad week. So yes, it was a bad week because complications happened in my life. Albeit, I'll have to admit, they were minor complications in light of the big picture. But here's the reality. Listen, folks, complications happen in life. And how we respond to those complications makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes complications are minor. Other times complications are rather major. They're they're huge, and they have huge implications. Sometimes complications happen as a result of our own choices and decisions we've made in life. Other times complications happen that are totally out of our control. We had nothing to do with them, and yet they happened. But one thing is for sure. Most of the time, complications happen suddenly and without warning. Last week, we saw that Naomi, who was the mother-in-law of Ruth, had one great concern for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was still a widow at this time. And her one great concern for Ruth was that she would find rest and security in the home of a loving husband. But who in the world in Bethlehem would provide rest and security for an outsider like Ruth, especially a foreigner, a Moabite woman. Well, Naomi had just the right person in mind when she directed Ruth to Boaz, who was a kinsman redeemer of the family. In other words, he was the close relative of the family. So Naomi hatched this great plan of hers that involved Ruth going to Boaz at the threshing floor at night and basically asking him to spread the corner of his garment over her as a symbol of his commitment to marry her. Whoa. Well, lo and behold, it was a bold plan, but Boaz told Ruth, I will do all for you that you request. In other words, Boaz obliged. He said, yes, I'll take you. I will marry you. I will redeem you. Now, can you imagine how high Ruth's emotions must have been at that point in her life? I mean, Boaz has just agreed to Ruth's marriage proposal. She has now found rest and security in the arms of Boaz. It's the great concern of her mother-in-law that she would have this, that she would find it. And now she has found it in the Boaz. You could say this has been a good week. For Ruth. But suddenly, a complication happens that bursts Ruth's bubble. Notice Ruth's complication in verse 12 of Ruth chapter 3. 
Boaz is speaking to her now in the middle of the night, and he says, Now it is true that I am your near kinsman. However, I like the other translations that just come out and say, But now, but. Boaz, in other words, say, Yes, it's true. I can do this for you. I am a near kinsman, but there is a kinsman nearer than I. You see, just when Ruth thought everything was going smoothly, just when she thought life was going well for her, a complication happens that will cause her heart to stop. Although Boaz was a close relative of Naomi's, apparently there was another redeemer who was even closer. And because of this, shall we call him Mr. So-and-so, because he's not named, Because this Mr. So-and-so was a closer relative, the law required that he have the first opportunity to serve as a redeemer and marry Ruth. Now, put yourself in Ruth's shoes because this must have been a bitter blow to her, who at this point thought her marriage to Boaz was a done deal. He's just agreed. But yet, and now a complication happens. Isn't this the way life is sometimes? (laughs) Have you experienced this before? Complications happen. They happen suddenly, and normally they happen at the worst possible moments in life. The worst times in life. No sooner do you fix the brakes on the car, and the transmission goes out. Just as soon as you find a job, the company decides they need a downsize, and so you're back searching for a job. We could go through one case scenario after another, and you've been there, you've done that. Or how about you commit to follow Christ, and all of a sudden, some of the choices in your past finally catch up with you now. Complications happen. But Naomi has some words of wisdom for Ruth that I think will prove to be words of wisdom for our own lives today as well. Notice Naomi's solution to Ruth's complication in verse 18, very last verse of the chapter, when she simply tells Ruth these words, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. The NIV translation says it this way, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. In other words, Naomi is saying to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she's saying, listen, don't try to fix the problem. Don't try to force the outcome. Instead, sit tight and wait until you find out what happens in the matter. And when Naomi says, wait to find out what happens, she's not leaving the outcome to chance or to fate or to coincidence or to accident. But rather, Naomi is putting her confidence in the hidden hand of God, in the providence of God, who is always working to accomplish his good purposes in our lives. The reality is, complications happen in life. And what we see from the example of Ruth is the big idea here, notice it coming up on the screen, that when complications happen in life, the principle is to be patient and wait on the Lord to work. Now, let's be honest, though. Or at least I will. Patience is a lost virtue. I know it is a mine. It's a lost virtue in our culture today, and waiting on the Lord is perhaps 
one of the most difficult things to do in the Christian life. Wait on the Lord to work. We have about as much patience as kids traveling in a car on vacation from Kansas City to Denver. I've been there, done that. And about time you get past the peak, they're already asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Listen, we resist waiting on the Lord because our natural tendency, everything within us, wants to fix the problem ourselves right away. And so we insist on helping God out as if God needs our help. And when we try, we normally only make matters worse. No wonder David says to us in Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, because I think we are all in the same boat on this, because most of us here have such a difficult time waiting on the Lord, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you three reasons right out of the text here, right out of the story of Ruth, of why it's possible to wait on the Lord. Why we really can be patient and wait on the Lord to work, especially when complications happen in our lives. They're going to happen no matter what, complications. And sometimes the answer to the complication is to wait. In fact, normally, a lot of times, that's the answer. But we have such a difficult time with it. Why is that, and how can we overcome that? Well, Ruth gives us some insight into this, along with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so here's three reasons why we can wait patiently on the Lord's work. Number one is because of God's concern for you, because of God's concern for me. Remember, Ruth is riding an emotional roller coaster right now when Boaz agrees to marry her. But then immediately reveals that Mr. So-and-so is a closer relative who has first rights to her hand in marriage. But because of his concern for Ruth, Boaz then begins to reassure her. He tells Ruth he would take care of this unwanted and unexpected complication Notice what he says to her in verse 13. This is the words of Boaz speaking to Ruth. Verse 13, he says, stay this night. And in the morning it shall be that if he, that is Mr. So-and-so, the other closer redeemer, if he will perform the duty of a near kinsman for you, hey, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. In other words, Boaz is saying, just as surely as God lives, I'm going to do it. You can bank on it. And by the way, God lives. And then notice the last phrase, last sentence. Lie down until morning. Now, do you think Ruth slept any the rest of the night? Lie down until morning, he says. I don't think she slept one iota. I don't think she slept at all. I think Ruth laid awake wondering who was going to be her husband, Boaz or Mr. So-and-so, who I've never met in my life. I think she's trying to imagine the best-case scenario and the worst-case scenario, and yet all she could do was wait and leave the matter in the hands of Boaz in the morning. In the morning, Boaz then demonstrates his loving, gracious concern for Ruth by doing two things, by protecting her reputation and providing food for 
her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, this is awesome. Look at this with me. Notice what it's what, in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize her. And then he said to her, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, obviously, Ruth is concerned about her own reputation. She doesn't want anybody to know what she had done, coming to the threshing floor at night to meet with Boaz. Boaz shared Ruth's same concern for protecting her reputation as a, quote, virtuous woman, which Boaz has just said already in verse, I believe it's verse 11, that all the townspeople know about her as a virtuous woman. In other words, she, you've heard of the Proverbs 31 woman? That's it right here. That is the reputation Ruth has. Ruth is concerned about protecting this. And because Boaz is concerned for Ruth, she, he then also shares in that concern of protecting her reputation. And you say, well, why is that a big deal? Because remember what we learned last Sunday, threshing floors, what took place? What was, what was the typical experience of a threshing floor among those who did not worship God and, and honor God? It was the place where prostitutes did their business. So Boaz came up with a simple plan to protect Ruth's reputation as a virtuous woman. Look what he says in verse 15. Also, he said, bring the shawl. Uh, that could be translated as a simple cape, uh, a cloak of some sort, even a scarf of some sort. Nobody really knows. It's one of those things. So he says, bring the shawl or the cape or cloak that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, notice what he does. He measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, more than likely... The measure of barley was not an ephah here. In fact, some of your translations take the liberty to actually interpret that for us when other translations simply say uh, six measures of barley because nobody is for sure what the measuring unit was of the barley. And here's one reason why I say that. Because if it was an ephah, Ruth would have carried home between 180 to 300 pounds of barley. I don't think so. So more than likely, the unit of measurement for the barley would have been a sia. A sia meant Ruth would have carried home somewhere between 60 and 100 pounds of barley. In fact, there are other commentators to believe that the me six measures of barley would have been maybe just a, two handfuls of scoop. You know, you just dip your hands in there, put it in the shawl, or maybe you have some type of like a, you know, in our house we have two dogs, so we have this big dog um, where we keep our dog food. It's a bin. You know what we use to scoop it out? We have a, a cup. So it would have been like, you know, six cups of dog food. And here you go, Ruth. It doesn't matter what the measurement used was. Folks, here's the point. Regardless, no matter what, the issue is Boaz provided Ruth with a huge amount of barley to carry back home. He is providing food for Ruth and Naomi. And here's the point of all of this. What Boaz is doing, his concern and how he demonstrated this concern in protecting her reputation and providing food, all of this gave Ruth confidence to do what? To wait patiently on Boaz to work everything out when everything inside her, listen, wants to jump ahead and work it out herself. 
But Ruth trusted in Boaz's deep concern for her, and she waited patiently on him to work things out. And that concern, folks, listen to me, mirrors God's concern for you. As a Christ follower, listen, I can be patient on God. I can wait on him because I know God is concerned for me. God cares about me. He knows my greatest needs in life. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows every detail of my life. He loves me and knows what I need and when I need it better than I do. If God fails to intervene in the time frame that I think he should, listen, it's not because he does not care, and it's not because he's out to get me. Look what the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8.28. He says, and we know, we know that for those who love God, in other words, this isn't a promise for those who aren't following God, who aren't following Jesus as a Christ follower. This is a promise for those who know God as Lord and Savior, who are following Him with their life. And we know that for those who love God, what does it say? All things work together for good. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean always for your good, the way you interpret for good. It's for how God interprets the good and for His glory. For those who are called according to His purpose, He's reiterating for those who are believers. You say, why? Because God's salvation plan, which now Paul describes in verse 29, proved that God is on our side in verse 31 by willingly giving His own Son to die on the cross for us. God proved His love for you. He proved His concern for you. And if you question that, all you've got to do is look back to the cross. I remember early on when I became the pastor of our church. This was back in 2002 of April that I became the pastor. In those first couple years, boy, it seemed like one complication after another. One complication happening after another. And and there were some people, when I first became the pastor, who kind of had a, a wait-and-see attitude. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're not really in, but you're not out. You just kind of wait and see, and then you'll make your evaluation and judgment and do whatever. And I understand that, but the downside of that is, in that you, you tend to be, well, let's just say I had a few people, and one, one couple in particular, that were opposing me. And there was just times. I went home in my car, especially after church or from during the week, and I'm like, God, do you, do you know what's going on? Complications happen, and this complication has a name. <laughs> are, are you, I, everything within me wanted to force the issue here. Everything within me wanted to fix it and finalize an outcome. The sooner the better. And yet God was just saying, Bruce, no, no, you just, you just got to wait on me to work. That was one of the hardest things to do. One of the hardest things to do. But what helped me overcome some of that, and I'm not saying I was perfect at it by no means in the world, was simply knowing and going back, all right, God, you put me in this position as pastor. You called me to this. 
I, I know you know about all this. I know you care about me and you love. This is your church. It's not mine. You have died for this church. There's a concern here. And just knowing that helps you to wait patiently. It's not easy, but it's possible. So the first reason that you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's concern for you. And although it's hard, listen, we can wait because, for God's help because we know he cares. Listen, there's no doubt when complications happen in our lives, it's tempting to doubt that God cares. It's easy to lose patience with what we see as his slow reaction time. Because our human nature wants to just put the metal to the pedal and race ahead of God to fix the problem ourselves. But that's when we need to wait for God to intervene and trust that despite the appearances, despite what we see, God wants what is best for us. In fact, by the way, let me just throw out this. Have you ever considered, has it ever crossed your mind before, that God's seemingly inactivity, or we could say it this way, that God's delayed activity in your life may actually be an expression of his deep, concern for you? Whoa. Yeah. I don't like that. How many of you like that? I don't like it. I'd rather God show his deep concern for me by just resolving the complication immediately. But you know what? God knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you. And so sometimes his expression of his love for your life and concern for your life is to delay his intervention. And to ask you to wait for him to work. The second reason you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's commitment to us. God's commitment to us. Now, if you think Boaz and Ruth had a hard time sleeping that night, just imagine Naomi's night. The one who concocted this whole plan probably lay awake all night wondering how her daughter-in-law was doing. And so when Ruth finally arrives back home, Naomi naturally greets Ruth with a question in verse 16. Look at it. She asks, hey, is that you, my daughter? Now, obviously, Naomi knows who Ruth is, or she would not have used the the words or added my daughter. So I think what Naomi's really asking is, hey, Ruth, how did it go? Tell me all about it. Sit down. Let's have a chat here. I want to hear all the details. This is certainly how Ruth interpreted the question as she proceeds to tell Naomi everything that happened the night before. And then notice what Ruth tells Naomi in verse 17. Very interesting. In verse 17, look at it. She says, These six measures of barley he gave me. That is Boaz. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Question, why did Boaz say that to Ruth when he gave her the barley? In other words, why would Boaz be so concerned about Naomi? Why would he be concerned about Ruth's mother-in-law at this point in time? And here's what's interesting about this. Do you remember, this is not the first time we've heard that phrase, empty empty-handed. The last time we heard it was from the lips of Naomi herself back in Ruth chapter 1, verse 21, after 
Naomi came back from Bethlehem, what did she say? I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The context of that was Naomi's bitterness, her bitter outcry against God for her tragic life, her devastating, disappointing life in Moab. Her emptiness basically involved two things, that she lacked food and an heir to the family. Remember, her husband died, her two sons died, and the widows were all childless. So she's lacking food, she's lacking an heir to the family. And so by hearing this word, as we read the story, this word empty again, listen, the author wants us to set these two scenes side by side. He wants us to mentally compare them for in our minds. And by mentally compare them, comparing them, we see how this scene now in chapter 3 provided the solution in part to Naomi's emptiness that she was experiencing in Ruth chapter 1. And it was through the generous gift of barley that Boaz reassured Naomi that she would have plenty of food. She and Ruth would not go hungry. They would not be empty-handed again when it came to food. God had provided once again in their life. Now that's pretty cool. You see, this resolved the first aspect of Naomi's emptiness. And at the same time, get this, the gift of grain promised a solution to the second aspect of Naomi's emptiness, her lack of a descendant. You see, more than likely, Boaz sent this gift of grain to Naomi. It was like a sign of good faith of his commitment to follow through to resolve the complication of the unnamed Mr. So-and-so closer redeemer. One way or another, this gift of grain promised Naomi that Ruth would have a husband soon, either by himself or by Mr. So-and-so. And Ruth's marriage would give Naomi the chance to have an heir to the family. So what we see here is that this gift of grain symbolized that God-given fullness was about to replace Naomi's tragic emptiness And this teaches us that we can wait patiently on God because of his commitment to us, just as Boaz was committed to Naomi and Ruth. You see, with confidence, folks, listen to me, we can endure disappointing and even painful circumstances because we know God is for us. God is committed to me. Paul makes this clear when he rhetorically asks this question in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? Nobody. And even if they are, it doesn't make any difference because I'm God and I'm for you and I'm on your side. Again, I'll use illustrations out of my own life. And, and since so much of my life is, a, you know, being in ministry, I remember back in 2004, which was just a couple of years into the pastorate here, when a, a, another complication happened. And this time the complication involved uh, budget issues in our church, money, finances. And not on the positive side, by the way. 
the lack of money to meet our budget for the year of 2004. A complication happened. And so the only thing that I could do was basically present it to the church, which I did on a Sunday morning. Here's the situation. Here's what's going on. And, uh, but you know what? Other than that, you can't really force the issue, can you? Where are you going to come up? I can't physically and financially meet the budget needs. I, you know, what, am I going to go rob a bank to, to solve it? No. I'm left with the only thing I can do. Wait on God to work and provide. And all through that, man, let me tell you, you're wondering, God, do you know what's going on? Do you care about us? Yes, you do, God. I know you do because you're committed to this church. You're committed to your sons and daughters. And you will do what is best for the good of this church and ultimately for your glory. But it was another complication that happened, and all you could do was wait patiently. Wasn't easy. Was not easy. Oh, and by the way, at the end of the year, we ended the budget in the red. It's now in the black. In the black. Got that backwards. In the black. Thank you for helping me out on that. God came through. He was committed. We could wait patiently. And so the second reason you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of his commitment to you. But I have to admit, let's ask a question. Do you feel overwhelmed by your complications at times? Sure we do. Do you wonder when God will come through you for you at times? Sure. But remember, God is just as committed to you as Boaz was to Ruth and Naomi. Listen, God is on our side. He only asks that we wait patiently on him to work. And yes, I will say, sometimes we must wait longer than Ruth did. Listen, indeed, God may even ask us to wait years perhaps even until Jesus returns before he intervenes in the complication we're dealing with. But however long the wait may be, listen, we can wait with confidence in God's commitment to us as his sons and daughters. The final reason you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's character. His character, the essence of who he is. And even though Ruth and Naomi, man, let me tell you, they are rejoicing about now. They are having a party about the abundance of food that Boaz had just given them. And yet Ruth was still left with the reality of her complication. It's kind of like this. You ever go, you ever have a party, you go to somebody else's party, and you're trying to enjoy it and have fun, but all the while your mind is going back to the complication you still got to deal with when you drive back home. And so you're kind of enjoying the party of somebody else, but not really. That's about the way Ruth is feeling right now. Although her and Naomi are rejoicing over the abundance of food, in her mind it is racing about this complication that is still out there. There was still another closer redeemer standing in the way of her marriage to Boaz. What was Ruth to do? How would she respond to this complication in her life? And I have to admit... Because I put myself in this story, and I hope you are as well. If I were Ruth, I think I would have searched this other Redeemer out. Man, I would have been searching the streets of Bethlehem. I'm getting to him before Boaz does. And I'm going to have a little talk with him, and I'm going to let him know this is how it's going to go down when Boaz comes to talk with you. That's what I would have done. 
But notice the words of wisdom that Naomi gives Ruth in verse 18. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. In other words, Naomi advises Ruth to relax and sit tight and wait to see how the matter will turn out. Ruth, don't try to fix the problem or force the solution. And again, let me just remind us, when Naomi says, wait to see what happens, she's not leaving the outcome to chance or faith, but rather she is putting her confidence in the work of God, in the hidden hand of God, who is working to accomplish his plans through Boaz. Now, some of you are thinking, because I thought this myself in my office as I was putting this message together, sit tight. Lord, that's what you want me to do? That's not what you created me to do. That's not my personality. That's not my makeup to sit tight and wait. You're asking me to go against your very creation, Lord. What's with that? Well, please understand, Ruth was not accustomed to sitting tight either. I mean, just do a simple little review here of the last episodes of her life in the book of Ruth. Listen, she had firmly insisted on doing what with Naomi? I'm coming with you to Bethlehem, and you're not stopping me. She took the initiative when they got to Bethlehem to do what? Because they were hungry and had no food. She goes to Naomi and says, listen, I will go into the fields and glean for food. Naomi, you stay home. I'm going to work here. I'm taking some initiative. And she boldly carried out Naomi's plan to arrange her marriage to Boaz. Clearly, Ruth has been one of the story's main movers and shakers. But now Boaz, oh man, this is so hard for us movers and shakers, if you consider yourself that. Now Boaz would do the moving and shaking, and Ruth could only wait to see how his moving would shake down. Now remember... Boaz has promised to take care of things. But what assurance did Ruth have that he would follow through on? Was there a chance here that Boaz might wait a day, wait even a week or a month, or perhaps even change his mind about the whole thing? Yes, Ruth had Boaz's word that he would act in the morning, but how could Ruth be so sure? Naomi reassured Ruth of her confidence in Boaz, but why was Naomi so confident? Well, look what Naomi says to Ruth at the end of verse 18. He says, For the man, speaking of Boaz, will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This brings us full circle back to the beginning of the chapter of Ruth chapter 3 because we have seen this word rest before, haven't we? This is the very essence of Naomi's great concern for Ruth that she would find rest. And this word rest here specifically means to be quiet, to be inactive. And in Psalm 83.1, the psalmist used it to plead with God not to rest, not to sit quietly by while his enemies plotted to destroy Israel. So to be quiet here has the idea to relax, to stop striving 
And according to Naomi, that was what Boaz would not do. In other words, Boaz would not take so much as a coffee break until the complication was resolved. Why was Naomi so confident of that? Because it was the character of Boaz which inspired Naomi's confidence. He was the man who kept his word. What he promised, he did. He was completely trustworthy. And so Ruth could now safely entrust her fate into his hands. Whatever Boaz did would be in Ruth's best interest. And further, Boaz was a man who followed through immediately. Listen, he would not dilly-dally around. No other matters would distract his attention. No other issues would divert his efforts. In other words, here's what Naomi is saying to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. You could say Boaz would not relax. He would not rest until he had settled the matter at hand because that's the kind of guy he was. And that's why Naomi tells Ruth, Sister, sit back and relax because she knows Boaz will not. He's working to resolve the complication. Now, folks, I hope you're connecting to dots because that is so awesome. Because what we learn through Boaz here is that our patience rests on the very character of God. God's character is completely trustworthy. And he's always true to his word. What he says, he will do. What he's promised, he will fulfill. And that's why when complications happen in your life and in my life, we can sit back and we can relax because God is not. He's working in our lives, even when we don't see it. I think one of the reasons, as you, as you kind of think about your own life and as I think about mine, well, why is this still so difficult? To wait, to be patient on the Lord. And I think one of the biggest reasons why we find it so difficult as Christians, as Christ followers, to just wait on the Lord to work is because, if we're honest, we'd have to say, I really don't know God. Oh, I know about God. I know who He is. But I don't know him in a relationship. I don't know his character. I don't know really who he is in my life. Because really, I don't read his word and I don't talk to him that much. So I have no real working relationship in which to base my confidence in his character. And I think at the heart of it, that's why so many Christians find it so difficult to simply wait on the Lord to work. Do you know and are you growing in a relationship with your Lord? Because when you know somebody, you know their character. And if you know God's character, then when God says wait, you know what you can do? You can wait. Not saying it's easy, but it can be done. In my first few years as pastor, when I was, or not when I was pastor, but when I was the youth pastor, um, just kind of as a lay guy, this is back in 
19, let me see, 1991, 92, 93, 94. Um, I just finished up a year, my last year of college, graduated, just got engaged with my wife and married in 91. And, and I'm just kind of, I started working in our youth group. And I just got my bachelor's degree, finished up, and I knew God was calling me for vocational ministry, basically to, to be a pastor, but in this case a youth pastor, and that was my heart's desire. That's what I wanted more than anything. And so I'm kind of giving my time here at the church as a, it's just free, if you will. And I'm working at UPS for four years. Hated every minute of that job. <laughs> and yet God used that, those four years, I look back on that now, 25 years later almost, as some of the greatest learning experiences in my life. In the, in the area of learning just to wait. Because everything within me wanted to force the issue. God, I, I need a full-time job. Okay, you call me to be a youth pastor, and it ain't happening here. And then a complication happened. A complication that affected our church and affected me in a great way. I was at summer camp that year. This is 1994. I get a phone call from Chris, and Chris is, I've never seen Chris cry in his life. Chris is bawling like a baby on the phone. And he can barely get the words out that my dad had had a massive stroke and is in the hospital. He's in ICU, and they don't know whether he's going to live or not. Of course, I start bawling like a baby. <laughs> Try to find my wife, and we immediately got in the van, raced back to Kansas City from camp, and I walk into the St. Luke's down on the plaza, see dad and he's curled up in the fetal position like a baby himself just shaking and he anyways long story short we didn't know for a week whether he was going to die or live anyways he ended up living as you can see but the residual complications from that was because he was having pressure in the brain on the spinal uh he was basically um paralyzed in a lot of ways and had to learn to redo everything like walk even talk write so he was in uh, rehab for an extended period of time. He's the pastor of our church. He's out, now out of commission of our church. Complication happens. I didn't understand that complication. I didn't like that complication. I'm like, God, what are you doing with that complication? Because that complication doesn't make sense in my mind. And yet God used that complication... <coughs> to fulfill his purpose and plan in my life in relation to this church. Because it was because of that complication, out of that complication, that this church then saw fit to bring me on full time. Because dad was incapacitated for a year. And it was a big stretch of faith because we really didn't have the finances to do it. And of course the rest is history. But... All before that complication, I'm having to wait, 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 be patient, be patient. And all the while, I'm like, God, do you care? Yes, I know you're concerned about me. Are you committed to this? Yes, I know, but I really don't know. And God, your character, I know who you are, and you begin to question all this stuff. And it really comes down to just obedience. It really comes down to an issue of trust. How much do you really trust God to wait on God? So what should we learn from this? I think that's the biggest lesson we take away. Notice this in your notes. We learn 
that complications happen in life and so view them as an opportunity to trust in the Lord. So how do we put this into practice in our lives? Well, notice at the bottom of your notes, and perhaps this analogy will help, and then we'll be done. Notice this. God's work in our lives is often like a traffic signal at busy intersections. Sometimes God gives us the go sign. And most of us here, we don't rebel against that. We like that. Hey, I got a green light. I can go. And boy, we race ahead. We put the pedal to the metal. In, in a sense, and, and God does that a lot of times for us. Man, he opens a clear path before us with clear directions to proceed. And when we see God's go sign, listen, we should go. And if we don't go, we are in disobedience. But other times, God flashes us the wait sign. He leaves us no open door. He clears no path. And he provides no immediate direction. And to ignore God's wait sign means we might be run over by the results of our own disobedience. Listen, folks, if I can say it this way, God, a lot, he asks for our patience. He asks that we trust in his concern for us. He wants us to rely completely on his commitment to us, and he desires that we bank our lives on his trustworthy character. And that's why we can wait patiently on the Lord to work and trust that his timing is always perfect and that he will act exactly at the right moment. And yes, I will be the first to admit that waiting on the Lord is one of the hardest things to do in life. The complication seems too unbearable not to fix right away. And our frustration seems ready to boil over and we feel like we're about to just explode inside. But if God has flashed you the wait sign, then whatever your complication may be, listen to me, follow Ruth's example and wait patiently on the Lord. God has not abandoned you. He is at work. And he will sustain you. And one day he will change things. And until then, God wants you to be patient and wait on him. Let's pray. As the praise team comes, and as we have just a few minutes here to respond to God, to what we've heard in his word, let me ask you a question. What complication are you facing in your life right now? Because I know most of us are. And perhaps your complication is minor. Perhaps you're here this morning and your complication is rather major. It's an it's a, it's issue. That, and maybe you've been dealing with it for a while. And so I want you to think of your complication. Put it in your mind. And then ask yourself, am I trying to fix this complication on my own? And here's what I'm asking you to do with that complication. Is right now, just surrender it to the Lord in prayer. Just just bring it to Him in prayer. Say, Lord, you know all about it. And right now, I'm, I'm asking you for the grace to wait patiently on you until you give me the go sign. And when you do, then I will proceed according to your word and what honors you. As Zach sings in the praise team. Take your complication to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him for His help to wait and be patient.